Every day we do battle, but we won't get far without putting on every piece of God's armor. We are simply no match for the evil that's before us. That's why we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory. Let's get ready for today's message. We are in a series called The Fight of Your Life. The fight of your life, Paul says, is not financial, it's not personal, it's not intellectual, it's not emotional. The fight of your life is spiritual. Our real enemies, well, they're not seen, they are unseen. Our one and only hope is in Jesus Christ. It's to put on his entire armor if we're going to be prepared to go into battle each and every day. Ephesians 6.13, we're looking at verses 10 through 17, but Ephesians 6.13 says this, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Who would raise their hand with me? And we certainly are living in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, here's one of those promises, you will be standing firm. Don't we want to be firm, I mean, firm standards? We want to stand firm in the, in the Word. Paul, said, Paul paints a picture for us of the Christian in complete armor in Ephesians 6. He says that when we put our armor on, we are ready to go into battle. He describes six parts of the soldier's uniform. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. Each piece of armor, each piece describes a particular quality of life that the believer needs in order to survive the attacks of the devil. Paul lists them in exact order. We have to put them in that order because that's how important they are for us. And we dare not... We dare not leave our homes without putting on the armor. We've looked at the first three pieces, the belt of truth. That goes on first. It covers that midsection. You know why it's first? Because the truth is so important. You can't build anything else on your life until you have the truth. And after you put on the belt of truth, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. It covers your heart. Well, of course, that is God's righteousness. Jesus himself has imputed to us his righteousness. You and I are not worthy to stand before God. Our sin disqualifies us. But because we can place on the breastplate of righteousness that Jesus Christ gives us, we are forgiven. We are seen to have all the rights and privileges. And then last week we talked about the shoes, the sandals of peace. These shoes have big spikes in them and establish this firm foundation. When we don't all, not only have the peace with God, but we have the peace of God in our lives, we can stand firm when Satan comes our way. Today we examine the shield of faith. How many of you have a shield of faith? All of us need a shield of faith. But first, I always want to remind you a few things. First, let, let, may we never forget, before we talk about the shield, may we always remember when we're going into battle this, that God has already defeated Satan and his agenda. Our commander-in-chief has already won the victory. He has already delivered us from sin and guilt and shame. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We have already won already done. Two, as believers, we have, listen to this, we have been transferred 
from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Wow. That should get an amen from somebody. I mean, from the kingdom of darkness, that's where we live, to the kingdom of light with all the rights and privileges that go along with being a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Wow, that's good news. And third, may we always remember that the spiritual battle we fight requires us. You know why we're so weak sometimes in our spiritual lives? You know why we fail and falter? Because we go into the world without putting on God's armor. And you and I are simply no match. No match for Satan. Remember, it's God's armor, not our armor. It's his, belongs to him. He gives us exactly what we need when we need it. If we'll just take advantage of it. But honestly, guys, if you're anything like me, sometimes you're stubborn. And you go out maybe with a helmet, maybe with your belt not on just right, and you forgot your breastplate, and you are ill-prepared for what Satan will send your day. And then you wonder why things happen to us or why things don't go right because we are not dressed properly when we go into the battlefield. You know, the Bible has an awful lot to say about our enemy. Did you know that? Satan appears the first time in Scripture in Genesis 3 and the last time in Revelation 20. Every New Testament writer mentions him. Jesus encountered him at the beginning and the end of his ministry and spoke of him. Often, Peter says he is like a lion roaring around, seeking who he can devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to take you out. That's his sole purpose. Don't ever take him lightly. There's two truths about Satan that are so very true. One, his main job is to discourage you, to distract you, to keep your mind and your attention away from Jesus. That's all it is. To discourage you and to distract you and to keep your mind, your attention, your focus away from Jesus. If he accomplishes that, he's accomplished his goal. Here's the second thing we need to remember about Satan. And this may come as a surprise to you, maybe depression a little bit, but guess what? He's smarter than you are. He's smarter than I am. He's been around a lot longer. He said, thousands of years of practice. He has, he has been practicing his craft for thousands of years, and he has gotten good at it. Here's what you know. He knows each and every one of your weak points. He knows where you struggle. He knows where you stumble. He knows everything about your thoughts. He attacks your thoughts because he knows your thoughts. He attacks you day or night. He never sleeps. He's always on the prowl, always looking. And he, and he commands a legion of demons and fallen angels that just bid at his command, whatever he tells them to do. He's a liar. He schemes and he tricks and he traps and he manipulates. He's a conniver. Whatever he can possibly do to take you out, to discourage you, to keep your attention, your mind, and your focus off of Jesus Christ. And his greatest triumph is, you know what Satan's greatest triumph is? Some of us don't even believe that he exists. Some of us don't even take him very seriously. Whew. Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, 17, and 18, 
you better take him seriously because that's really who your fight is with. Here in verse 16, here's what he says. He says, in addition to all of these, well, what's referring, what's he referring to in addition to all of these? He's referring to in addition to the belt of truth in addition to the breastplate of righteousness, in addition to the shoes of peace, in addition, hey, don't forget, this is really important. In addition, this is really important peace. Hold up, pick up, take up, he says, the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. You know, in ancient days, in Jesus' day, when Paul is writing here, when people went to war, and you've seen this on the big screen, on theaters, on, on, on old Roman Empire things, you, you know, as the army is marching and those guys are hiding in the woods, those archers, and they get those arrows, and there's about a, a thousand of them, and they, and they light them up with this pitch, and they shoot them in the air, and I mean, that is a dangerous, that's a formidable weapon. And the, and the guys are unprotected, and here come thousands and thousands of arrows. Paul says, that's what happens to you and I. Fiery arrows coming at us day and night from Satan, from the hell itself. See, the Roman soldier carried two kinds of shields. The first was a small shield for hand-to-hand combat. But Paul's not talking about that shield. He's talking about the second kind of shield. It was a rectangular shield, about four and a half feet tall and two and a half feet wide, almost like a small door. It was, it was encased in leather and metal. And they would even soak it in water so that when they were advancing and these fiery arrows were coming at them, they could put up the shield and wouldn't be harmed. That's a, that's a picture Paul is painting for us here. Hey, as we make our way through life, we need to have the shield of faith out in front of us. It's extended out in front of us. So when those fiery arrows from Satan comes, hey, they can be extinguished by our shield. That's how you stop those fiery arrows. Fiery arrows that Satan sends to us come to us as thoughts, as situations, as desires to sin. Again, Satan knows that we all have desires, even lusts, that can be easily ignited. All he needs is to light the tiniest of flame. Just a little bit. Just a prick it. Just a little bit. Just a little fire. And before we know it, well, we can burn so easily. Isn't that true? I mean, honestly, you're sitting there, you're at the computer, everything's going fine, and all of a sudden a thought enters your mind. It just takes a few little clicks. A few little clicks. And all of a sudden, you're somewhere where, honestly, we shouldn't be. Or you're taking a test at school, and you haven't studied as well as you should. And all it takes is just one little glance. One little glance. It's no big deal, just one little glance. And all of a sudden, we're somewhere where we shouldn't be. Or, hey, I'm just going to lunch with her. It's no big deal. It's just lunch. Everybody has to eat lunch. I mean, we all eat. What's the problem with eating lunch? And a few weeks later, it's no big deal. I'm just taking her home. Everybody has to get home. It isn't her fault her car broke down. It's just taking her home. My wife won't matter. It's all of a sudden, it's no big deal. We're just going out to see a movie. It's no big deal. Everybody goes to see movies. 
And before you know it, you're somewhere where you shouldn't be. It's amazing how we rationalize things, isn't it? It's amazing how close we can get to the very edge. It's amazing how we allow ourselves to get as close as we can. Well, let's just see. How close can I come to sin without sinning? When we do that, we are opening ourselves up, guys. His thoughts come on their own. Satan knows your thoughts, and he plants them in your head. If he can just get a little spark started, a little spark, a little fire, before you know it, you're burning up. You're burning up, and you're where you don't need to be. Or Satan attacks you with thoughts about the truth of the gospel, thoughts about God's promises, thoughts even about his existence. Wow, God, he's not really a good God. If he was a good God, he wouldn't allow those things to happen to you. God, you know, he doesn't care about you. I'm not even sure he exists. I don't even know if I believe that stuff anymore. Just little thoughts. No way does Satan come to you in big, broad strokes. He comes to you simply, quietly. And before you know it, you are someplace where you don't want to be. Nobody gets there all at one time. Remember, Satan is a whole lot smarter than you or me. And he has plenty of time. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. You see, his future is already assured. Yours and mine, well, that's up to decisions that we make. So Paul says, into this danger, into this daily world we live. That's the world we live in. That's the world we walk in. That's the world. Paul says, when those arrows come our way, we're to pick up our shield of faith. Out in front, 1 John 5, 4 says this, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our victory is given to us by faith, because of our faith. Well, what kind of faith is Paul talking about here? What kind of faith is he mentioning? Well, all faith begins for the believer with saving faith. All faith believe, begins when you believe and when you confess and when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. But remember now, in Ephesians 6, Paul's talking already to believers. So he's not talking about saving faith. What kind of faith is he talking about? What kind of faith is this rectangular shield of faith that we have out in front of us? What kind of faith is he talking about? Well, I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about the, our absolute confidence in God. Our absolute 100% confidence and trust that what God says is true. It's a dependent way of living. It says that no matter what, I'm going to believe that God is good. I am here. I am planted. I'm absolutely assured that God is good, that God is right, that God is holy, that God is righteous, and He will see me through. No matter what comes our way, no matter what kind of arrows He sends my way, I serve a great, big, wonderful, majestic, holy God who takes care of me. Who takes care of me. It's confidence. It's believing in His promises. It's believing in His power. And it's believing in His program for your life. God has given us promises. God has all the power. And He has a program, a plan for your life and mine. The faith that Paul is talking about is the confidence in His promises. The confidence in his power, the confidence in the program, 
that allows us to move forward into battle knowing that our God walks with us and in front of us. Wow. Promises. We all understand promises, don't we? We've all made plenty of promises, right? And we've all broken plenty of promises, right? We've done both of those things. You know, a promise is only as good as the one giving the promise. I can promise you a million dollars, but that's worthless. Because I don't have a million dollars. I can't make good on my promise. A promise is only as good as the one who makes you that promise. Not just are they able to fulfill it, but do they have the character to fulfill that promise. 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-one says this, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises, listen, prove true. All the Lord's promises. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. A shield. There's that shield again. Why? Because his promises are true. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. For all of God's promises, listen to this, have been fulfilled in Jesus. Wow. All of God's promises. There's thousands of promises in Scripture. All of them have been fulfilled in Jesus. Faith is not just belief. Faith is belief plus trust. It's resting on the person of God and his word. It's resting on his character. We can trust God. We can have faith in him because we believe in his character. Well, how do we learn then? How do we learn to trust? Well, we learn to trust a character person. How? By getting to know that person. That's how we do it. I mean, you don't go and just give your bank account to anybody, right? I mean, if I'm standing in line at the post office, I don't say, hey, here's my money to the guy behind behind me. Why not? Because I don't know that guy. I don't know his character. We have no experience. See, before we know God, we, we have doubts. We're not really able to trust him. We don't yet know who he is. We don't know if he is dependable. We're not sure we can put our trust and our faith in him. So then the question is this. If we're going to have faith, our faith is built in his character, well, how do we get to know the character of God? Because without knowing his character, we can't have any trust. Without having any trust, we can't have any faith. If we can't have any faith, we can't have a shield, then we're in trouble. So how do we know the character of God? Well, here's the first way. You study his word. You spend time in his word. I mean, we have been given. Imagine, if I was to tell you that I have a letter addressed to you personally from God himself. It's a personal letter to you. Would you read it? Would it be of interest to you? Or you say, eh, I'll get around to it some other day. No, man, you would run as fast as you can. You'd rip that thing open because you'd want to know what God sent to you. Guess what? He sent all of us letters. Tell us exactly what he thinks, exactly what he wants from us. He doesn't leave anything to our imagination. Everything that we need to know, he has written down for us. Well, I don't like to read. It takes so long to read. I have so many things to do. I'm so busy. Well, pop in a CD then. Listen to it. We live in a time and now where, man, the Word is so available to us. We're going to study His Word. You know what you begin to realize when you study His Word? 
you begin to realize that God is faithful, that he never breaks his promises, that he never changes, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You begin to realize he is someone who never sleeps and who never slumbers and cares so much about you that he's counted the hairs of your head. You begin to realize as you read that you're like the shape that goes astray. And this great God who knows and is our, our creator leaves the other 99 and comes and gets you. You begin to realize as you read the word that this God can save you from the fiery furnace. He can save you from the lion's den. You begin to realize that he is, de- he is dependable at all times and in all circumstances. And guess what? You begin to believe in his character. You begin to believe. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Every time you read the word, every time you memorize the scripture, every time you hear something from God, you strengthen your character in who he is as you learn more and more about him. Romans 10, 17, So faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Jesus. That's how we get our faith, by spending time in the Word. I can tell you this, if you spend no time in the Word, your faith is not going to increase. It's just not. You have to get to know Him. If I want to become your friend, I've got to get to know you. If I want to depend upon you, I've got to get to know you. We've got to spend time together. Well, with God, He's kind of the big God. So what has He done? Has He given us His Word? But He doesn't even stop there. Here is the next way we get to know him. We get to know God and more about him by seeing him work in our own lives. Wow. One of the things, as you read the word, one of the things you're going to pick up from the word is this, is that oftentimes God uses this word when he talks to his people. Remember. Remember. Remember what I did. Remember what I've done. Remember what I brought you through. Why would he tell us that? Because if we remember what God has brought us through, if we remember what he has done for us in the past, it's an indication of what he'll do for us in the future. If, Lord, you have helped me in the past, if you have provided for me in the past, if you've taken care of me from the past, then I know I can have confidence in your character that you'll provide for me in the future. As you walk with me, and as you teach me, as you rebuke me, as you instruct me, as you work within my life, I can be confident, fully confident, that you'll take me from where I am to where you want me to be. Why? Because you did it before. And not just for me. That book that we're talking about reading, that Bible, is full of stories of people who did just that. They had confidence. They believed and God took them from where they were to where he wanted them to be. Philippians 1.6 tells us that he will be faithful to get us to where he wants us to be. I'm confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you and in you and in you will be what? Faithful to complete it. Faithful to complete it. Wow. Wow, that is powerful stuff. So God works. We understand him through his word. We understand him better through our own individual lives and through lives around as we see him. But he also works through his voice, through his Holy Spirit. John 10, 27 says this, My sheep, remember, sheep, that's you and me. We're all sheep. My sheep, Jesus says, listen to my voice. I know them and they 
follow me. I know them, and they follow me. I've used this illustration so many times. Those of you who've heard it before, just tune me out for the next three minutes and then come back in. But, you, you know, back in Jesus' day, it's, it's a great illustration. Because back in Jesus' day, when shepherds would get together, they would all have, some would have 20 sheep, some would have 50, some would have 10. And they would all come together because being a shepherd is kind of a lonely life. You know, you're kind of out there in the wilderness, just you and the sheep. You know, it's not really a fun time. So they would get together with their friends, and they would spend the night together, and all the sheep would be in a pen. But they can't all stay together because there's not enough land, not enough grass for all the sheep to be together. So when it came time in the morning for them to depart, well, the sheep are all intermingled. They're everywhere now. Well, whose sheep is this, and whose sheep belong to this? I mean, all sheep, honestly, they look alike. I mean, who knows whose sheep? So how do you think they would determine... Where my sheep are? Well, you know, all they did was the shepherd would simply call his sheep because the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. So that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, I'm the shepherd. I call and all my sheep follow me. They recognize my voice. See, we need to cultivate the ability to hear God. That's why this next month we're in prayer here at Sawgrass Church. We want to hear from God. We must be on our knees praying, fasting, believing that he will speak, that he'll, his voice will be able to hear his voice. The Holy Spirit, when you're praying, when you're seeking, may speak to you through a verse, may speak, may, hit, may prick your heart, may put something in your mind. But as we get to know him better and better and better, we begin to recognize his voice. So that is so very, very important. So we, we get, gain faith by believing God's promises. We also gain faith by recognizing God's power. You know, the word says that he is El Shaddai. You know what that means? God Almighty. He is God Almighty. So we can gain faith by believing his promises. We gain faith by recognizing his power. You know, he has both authority and power. He is a sovereign God, and he has the right and authority over all of us. Guess what? He has the right to do to you and me whatever he wants to do to just because he wants to. He doesn't need your permission or my permission. Why? Because he is sovereign. The sooner that we understand that God is sovereign and we are not, the more sense our lives will make. Our struggle is we think that we're sovereign. And whenever you think that, you're screwed up. You're messed up. Because only God is sovereign. He doesn't need permission to do anything. He does exactly what he wants according to his will. He doesn't seek out anything else. He is self-existent. He is self-sustaining. He is the very originator of all power. Everything belongs to him. You and I think that we're so sharp. The world thinks that we have it all together. All God does is snap, and everything is done. Everything. We exist. We're allowed to breathe because God wills it so. The only reason your heart is beating, the only reason blood's flowing through your veins, the only reason the air is flowing through your lungs is because right now, God allows it to happen. And at the point in time when he decides that enough is enough, I don't care who you are. 
I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how big your position. It won't matter a bit because the God of the universe, who is the only sovereign, is in charge. And he's in control. And when we recognize that this is a powerful God, all-powerful, guess what? What you think about me doesn't matter so much anymore, does it? What God thinks about me, this is a little side note. I probably shouldn't go here, but I, but I will. It, it, it always amuses me because people will sometimes say, well, what do you think? Do you think that's a sin? Do you think that's wrong? What do you think? Do you know what I tell them? I said, why in the world would you care what I think? I don't care what you think. Why would you care what I think? Now, I care what God thinks. And you ought to care about what God thinks. Because why? Because he has power. I am nothing, but he is everything. Psalm 89.8 says this, Who is like you? Who is like you, God? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Who is like you in all the world? Who is like you? My time is going. I'm going to have to speed up. So as we look to faith, we, we, we count on his promises, his power. And then the last thing, and then I'll be done. We talk about, we can depend upon his program for our life. Do you know that God has a program and a plan for your life? Program and a plan. Wow, so many people want to know, well, what's God's plan for my life? What's God's will for my life? As believers, we ask those questions all the time. Let me give you two of the top three things real quickly. And then we'll be done. Top three things real quickly. Because, you see, as you know these things, remember, this is what builds our faith so we can have that shield of faith. When we know we can count on God's promises because we know his character, when we know he's all-powerful, and so whatever comes our way, well, wow, we, we have a powerful God. And then if we know he has a plan and a program for our life, well, then, wow, our shield is powerful. It's soaked with water. So when those arrows come our way, we stick it out there, and we can survive and be effective. Here's God's plan for your life, in case you didn't know. One, that you would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. John 3, 17, For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God loves you so much. It's not his desire that you should fall or that you should spend eternity away from him. He wants you to come to a saving knowledge. And if you are here and you haven't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, today's the day, tonight's the night, the moment is now. Never put off because none of us have any idea what the future holds. Why? Because we're not sovereign. We're not all-powerful. Only God is. Here's the second thing that God wants you to be. He wants you, his will for your life, is to become more like Jesus. More like Jesus. Right? He wants you to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. For I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. What does that mean? He wants me to become more and more like Jesus. That's his plan for my life. Am I a plumber? Fine. My bank executive? Fine. Whatever I am, he wants me to become more and more like Jesus. Why? Because I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. Here is the third big plan that God has for each and every one of you here. And listen carefully to this. He wants you to live with eternity in mind, with a heavenly perspective. Not for eternity. Oh, that's good. 
but with eternity in mind. Because you see what? See this? If, if you have already accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, guess what? Your eternity has already begun. You're already living in eternity right now. He wants you to live with eternal perspective. It changes everything that we do. All of a sudden, those mundane tasks, those things that we're not too excited about, if we have a heavenly perspective, if we have an eternal perspective, we begin to realize, wow, God is using the ordinary, the regular things in life to get me to where he wants me to get, to take those he wants to come with us to eternity. We must live with a perspective of eternity. So we're always looking forward, always anticipating. This is not my home. I don't belong here. My home is out there. I'm on my way there. We cross the river called death to get there. But that's the river we cross. And when we do, then we're home. But not until then. Do you think that if we, if you and I, had confidence in God's promises, if we knew and believed his power, that if we recognized and accepted his plan for our lives, what would we have? We'd have faith. We'd have faith that he'll get us to where he wants to get us. Faith is our absolute confidence in God, his promises, his power, and his program for our lives. You know, faith shapes our actions and what we do every day how we live in our circumstances, what we say, what we don't say, we do so because of our faith or lack of faith in Jesus Christ. So every morning when we get up, brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, every morning, let's grab our shield of faith. Because every morning, every day, Satan is out to destroy you. And if you leave home without it, you'll be sorely disappointed. You'd be sorely disappointed. Those arrows will stick and they will hurt, maim, kill, and even destroy you. Jesus says, for I've come to give you life and life abundant. But the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We dare not leave our homes without God's armor. We have seen already the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. The breastplate of righteousness. We, we wear his righteousness around us. We are like dirty rags, but he is clean as white as snow. We have peace in our lives. We can stand firm because of what God has done for us. And we have the shield of faith so when those arrows come our way, they will bounce off. That, my friends, is good news. That is how we live a life of faith. That is how we can live from this day to the next no matter what comes our way, we know we have a God. Oh, we may not understand it. Don't misunderstand me now. We may not understand it. Wow, this life is so full of things I don't get. I don't know about you, but so full of things I don't understand. I don't understand why things happen. They do when they happen. And to me, if I, if I was in charge, I'd do it a lot different. But I'm not in charge, thank God. God's in charge, and he is good and sovereign. And I can have confidence, and you can have confidence, because I believe his promises. Because I know he has the power to fulfill his promises. And because I know he has a plan and a program for my life. And because of that, I can live. 